25 years on the PGA Tour and a lifetime member of the PGA Tour and PGA of America. Jay Delsing brings you his perspective on one of the world's greatest games as a professional golfer and network broadcaster. It's the game that connects the pros and the average Joes. Brought to you by Whitmore Country Club. Golf with Jay Delsing is now on 101 ESPN. Good morning, St. Louis. Welcome to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. I got my buddy John Perlis here with me. And uh, we format the show just like a round of golf. This opening segment is the on the, red, on the Range segment, and it's brought to you by 20 Minutes to Fitness. 20 Minutes to Fitness just once a week. It works for me. Well, I'm, we're still buzzing about Tiger and Augusta and the 15th major and all the records and the things that are going to um, fall. We've got, oh, man, the Hilton Head Tournament we got to talk about. we got a lot of things that we got to talk about. We're going to have a visit like we all always do in our under-end segment with our buddy Justin Hoagland. He is the um, city manager of the three golf tech locations and a, a fellow PGA professional. So let's go on over to uh, Justin. And Justin's going to give you a tip today about what to do when you're running short of time right before you tee off. Boy, now this is a common one we see, right? Every golfer's trapped in this position where they're rushing out of the car, got the golf clubs, and, and they've found their golf cart, and they may get a couple of swings on the range, but if they don't, it's hurry time to the first tee uh, with a few minutes to spare maybe. But, look, I think the best thing to do is uh, step to the side of, of whatever practice tee you've got and make the best you can of the tempo you can find uh even though you might not hit a shot or two on the range but the five minutes that you've got is find your tempo slow yourself down as much as possible and just get a good feel for your overall timing for the day um hitting a good uh few putts on the green never hurts never hurts uh, i always like to chip before i uh, tee off making good contact with the golf ball uh, helps me find the center of the face, just like it would a driver and so forth. But um, that helps me on tempo as well. So those first five five minutes or the last five minutes before you tee off, uh, really, really key in finding tempo and, and just the overall timing with what you have for the day. Thanks so much, Justin, for joining us. And, uh, God, I love those segments. It's always nice to get a different set of eyes in there and another opinion. It's so important this time of year, as we've talked about, it's a tough time of year to play golf, to get your game tuned up, and what what better place to go than to get in front of Justin and his guys. Yeah, absolutely. Like we've been pitching, guys, uh, Valentino Dixon's coming to St. Louis May 3rd at the On God Arts Hotel, probably a 6 or 6.30 start in the evening. you got to get over there. Um, it's a fundraiser for a, a group called Arts Unleashed that does art, brings art, art education, anything to do with art, to the underprivileged, the folks that can't have it, um, the inner city at-risk youth. It's uh, it's all for charities. Valentino's bringing some of his artwork. That's he was awesome. a commissioned uh, artist for <laughs> Augusta. What a yeah! You mentioned this that. Guy. You mentioned that. It, 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 what a, it's going to be so fun to listen to his story. Yeah. So. Um, We've got Brandel Chambly. I, I did a an interview with Brandel. Um, we've got a lot of cool content from Brandel, and um, Brandel is in the news an awful lot around Masters time. We can uh, set making that. some. Uh, he always he's always very direct in his comments. But I think, boy, Jay, I so appreciate it. I've been privy, obviously, to the uh, to the interview with him. 
and I think people can really get some different perspective. I, I just like so much. I remember Brandle from college. I knew him a little bit back in that that day, but I really like his philosophy, and he's kind of a take him or leave him, but he's got a method to his madness, and he puts it out there and says, listen, that's that's my job, and I'm putting it out there, and you know, it's thought-provoking, uh, and, and, I, and I love it. I, I, I emailed you the one time during the Masters. I'm like, would, if you see Brandel, just tell him to quit digging. Because I'm thinking, man, but he he was just standing his point and his belief. And he might be wrong as heck, and he said he might be wrong as heck. But he had his stats. He had his figures about guys losing weight and doing different things with their bodies and how it alters their game. And he stuck with his opinion. I, I was sweating listening to him on, on TV because I'm thinking, dude, you're digging too deep a hole for yourself. Well, John, the other thing is, you know, he, this is a really bright guy. Very. And he reads and reads and digs and analyzes. And I Very I, dedicated I, to his craft. Absolutely. And the thing that I, that I love about him is that, look, his job, as he says in the interview, it's to analyze don't give the, it, I'm giving the interview away. Now you're giving the interview right, away. Right, so you got to listen to those thoughts because, <laughs> you know, it takes some guts to say some of the things that he says about who he says them about. You know, and I, I appreciate that. I, I, I like that a lot. So um, um, let's do a real quick spot for Whitmore. Okay. Uh, they're the sponsor of the show. Uh, we so appreciate their support. 72 holes of golf over at Whitmore. Uh, we had Bummer on. Great couple, guy. couple weeks ago, just a you great can tell guy. how he just probably sets the atmosphere for that whole place. Yeah, it's it's um oh man, there's a, a huge swimming pool complex. There's a workout facility. What they do really well at Whitmore is they are family oriented. So there's kids clubs, you know, so you can drop your kids off at this really cool club, and the kids like it, and you know, you and your wife or girlfriend can go out and grab a sandwich, play nine holes, do whatever. Um, the Christmas parties. they just a really socially active club. And if your sons and daughters don't like golf, they're swimming teams. There's all sorts of different activities out there for them. Um, they have access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. Uh, your golf cart fees are already included in that membership. So it gives you a lot of access. Uh, it's a great place to go. Bummer. You can get good golf instruction from Bummer. You get great stories from Bummer. Um, a lot of access. Drop the, drop the kids off right when the sun comes up and come and pick them up right when the sun goes down. Yeah, so that's we, we just appreciate that's Whitmore. That's what we grew up playing. I loved it that way. It kept us out of a lot of trouble. Yep, yep. Kind of got us into a little trouble a little here and there. Here but there. It, was, uh, what, well, it was a safe place life to get in a trouble. little bit of trouble. That's <laughs> right. So thanks so much to the folks at Whitmore for, for sponsoring the show. And, um, you know, Pearl, the, this interview with Brandle's going to be great. Whether you like him or dislike him, you got to respect the fact that he, you know, throws it out there. I, I absolutely did. And like I said, I, I, I know him a little bit. I followed him through the years. I know he was a wonderful player. Uh, sometimes he comes across, I'll, I'll throw it out there, as arrogant on... Uh, Without question. On, on uh, When they have the different conversations out there. But I've always appreciated how much knowledge he has. And you can tell how much work he puts into it. But I'll tell you, that's the beauty of the wonderful... Uh, interview that you did with him is he's given him an, exp- an opportunity to explain his philosophy. And I t- I've already taken a very different view of how I see him when he comes out with those out- outlandish statements. One thing I wish you could find out, and maybe you know this, but how do the other guys on his panel, David Duvall, Frank, Frank yeah, uh, no, now no, Lowen, whichever one of the other Golf Channel guys is on there, because they don't roll their eyes at him per se, but you can see, Inside, I think yeah, you can see David right. Duvall yeah. pretty 
uncomfortable. And David Duvall's not going to back down from anybody. And he hasn't. And he has stood his ground, Which especially I think made, the Ryder Cup. And I think, but I mean, on that panel, I think it's made Brandel better because David's been there. He, he was said number to one Brandel, player. "You've never been in that room, so quit saying these things about the Ryder Cup." And Brandel's like, "I can say them. I've already told you I might be wrong, but this is what it looks like yeah. to me." Man, this. So I like that interaction. Yeah, it's, I it's, do too. It's a good group, and so you've you've given us all your listeners kind of uh, some insight on how that works as well. But when you have Randall Chambly 2.0, or in the instrument during the year, it would be fun to come back, and I, I'd like to know how those other guys see him in that interaction because I think they're kind of buddies. They always talk about going yep, out, especially yep. him and Frank. But there seems to be some uncomfortable times when, when Brendel's going deep on his details and he his does, opinion. He does take it deep. He does take it deep. Well, we took it deep on the range. That was fantastic. And that segment just flew by. Um, so we got to go take a quick break uh, from the folks that helped sponsor the show. This is uh, Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. And come back because we're going to have the Brandel Chambly interview. On the front nine. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC, are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing here on 101 ESPN. The firm was started in January 2015 by Mike Doster, Jess Olam, and John Boyle, three veterans of the St. Louis real estate, banking, commercial, and corporate legal landscape. The firm was founded on the shared view that success should be measured by client and community satisfaction, not profits for partner. The firm's focus is on business, real estate, corporate, finance and restructuring, and succession planning. Since its founding in 2015, Doster, Olam, and Boyle have been involved in real estate, business, and corporate transactions with a combined value in excess of over $1 billion. For decades, Doster, Olam, and Boyle lawyers have been recognized as leaders in their practice areas by their peers. Doster, Olam, and Boyle, LLC. Extraordinary talent, ordinary people. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely upon advertisements. I need to tell you about my friend Joe Sheezer at USA Mortgage. He's been a loan officer for 26 years, and over that period of time, he has closed over $500 million in loans and specializes in pairing the right loan program for each borrower. He has unique loans for the first-time home home buyers, VA loans for veterans, no-cost loans uh, for refinances, and cash-out opportunities for your credit cards. Right now, Joe just called me last week. And I am refinancing my home from a 30-year to a 15-year fixed, and it's going to save me over $100,000 over the life of the loan. You've got to call Joe at 314-628-2015 today. Joe's NMLS number is 281113. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company is proud to be an official sponsor of 101 ESPN's newest show, Golf with our friend Jay Delsing. Just like Jay, Urban Chestnut is born right here in St. Louis. With three local brewing and restaurant locations, you won't travel far to sample straight from the source. If you're heading out to the links this weekend or if you're just in the mood for a classic German-style beer, grab a four-pack of our fresh, refreshing Zwickel Bavarian Lager wherever craft beers are sold. Urban Chestnut Brewing Company, St. Louis, Missouri. Prost! You're listening to Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. You can find Jay online at jdelsinggolf.com. Welcome back. This is Golf with Jay Delsing. This is your host, Jay. I'm with my buddy, John, and uh, we're headed to the front nine. You had a great PGA Tour career, 18 years on tour. You had a win up in Vancouver, and, um, uh, you know, that doesn't get talked too much about because you're television career has taken off and you made a great transition and one of the things you know i've had other athletes and i'm going to continue to get other athletes and golfers on 
uh, I had David uh, Faraday on not too long ago, just talking about the transition from playing to the booth. Yeah, well, you know, everybody's role is different. You know, my role, you know, Faraday is is uh, he's more of a he's an entertainer. He's hired to to bring levity to the proceedings. So his role and my role couldn't be any more different. And he's very good at it. Uh, my role is to analyze. Uh, it is to tell the viewer what they might not have have seen, um, what they what they probably couldn't have discerned because they didn't play the game at the level that you and I played it or they don't study it at the level you and I do. So that's my role. And and in order to do my role correctly, I have to sometimes say critical things of people I enjoy a great deal and nice things about people that I don't particularly enjoy. Um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a job that is, it is almost incompatible, at least the way I see it, um, with, uh, with relationships on the tour. In other words, if I go out and I, and I spend a great deal of time with tour players, uh, I'll take those biases up into the booth. So I try to keep my distance from tour players. Even when I'm out, and I'll be out at Colonial covering, doing the live call from, I, when I walk the range, I stay a fair distance away because I, I want to be unbiased. I want to be able to watch a player and then based upon what I, what I watch, what I observe, what I look up, uh, be able to give my opinion without bias either direction. That's just the way I do it. A lot of people do it differently. They, 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 they love the insight that they gain from talking to players. And it's not that I don't do that. I, I do. If they come up and want to talk to me, I, I do. But for the most part, I try to come up with my own ideas, my own opinions through my own study and, and observations. It's just the way I've done it. Um, and, um, you know, I'm always trying to answer the question, why? Why somebody wins, why somebody loses, and, uh, and look for trends. And, and that's what I've been doing for almost 20 years now. That's incredible, and I have such a, a great deal of respect. You know, Brando, I know you well. I know how well-read you are. I know how serious you take this job, and I don't always agree with your opinions, but I have a tremendous amount of respect for your ability to make those calls, because especially given the circumstances, they're not easy calls to make sometimes, especially if you're fond of someone. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, uh, I, I run into people – and they'll say, you know, uh, you're opinionated. And I, and I think, well, I never thought of myself as opinionated. I, I mean, I think, I don't know if you'd agree, but I mean, playing college golf, playing amateur golf, whatever, I, I was, I'm, a, I'm a friendly person. I've always been gregarious. I love people. I, I love yucking it up with people. But the job that I have now, someone turns to me every two minutes and says, why did that happen? And, and you have to, you're making an argument. And so it requires, at least in my view, it requires an almost endless amount of study to answer the question properly why something happened. People don't generally get upset about you telling them what happened, who won, how many fairways they hit, how many greens they hit, um, how, you know, uh, what they won by, the margin of victory. But when you start to explain to them why something happened, why someone hit more greens than somebody else, why someone lost, why someone won, that is when people go, hold on a second. What makes you so smart? And it's like, I, I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm just saying this is my opinion. 
and I spend a lot of time trying to get it right. doesn't mean I always get it right, um, but that's what I aim for. And I feel like to do the job right, you have to really spend a lot of time. Um, you have to know everything about a player, uh, all their tendencies, weaknesses, and strengths, and then try to connect the dots. Um, and I find it endlessly fascinating to do it. Brandon, let's talk just a minute, and I want to talk about your book in a, in a few, but let's talk a little bit about the players because I don't think this gets mentioned very often, but for whatever reason, and I think it's a golf course, I'd love to hear your opinion, the players can produce some one-off sort of champion, so to speak. What do you think about that? Well, I agree. Uh, I think the golf course, it's either the best course in the world that the players face or the worst. Uh, and, and when I played it, I used to think that it was the worst. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I was always uncomfortable. I was, awkward lines. Uh, it got in, I think, not only my head, I feel like it got in everybody's head. But as an analyst, and I begin to look at what it takes to, to win there, I'm more along the lines, and I'm, I, I tend to think it's the best course in the world, and here's why. Not even the best players in the world can figure out how to play that. The great thing about gambling coming to golf is it brings all these sabermetric minds to the game, and they can look deeper into the game than anybody ever has. Uh, and one of the things that they, they try to correlate is past success at golf courses. They'll call it repeatability. Obviously, that's what I'm trying to do, but they can do it with even greater depth. And they use strokes gained at a particular golf course against the baseline strokes game that a player will have all year long. And if a player plays well at a particular venue, he'll have more strokes gained there against his baseline. And you'll see repeatability at venues like Bay Hill or Firestone uh, or Doral when they used to pay there. The course that has the least repeatability, the least likely course for anybody to play well, is the Players' Championship. When they do a strokes gain analysis across every player in the field, okay, generally because it's a zero-sum uh, exercise, in other words, if you pick up 15 strokes, Jay, over the, your baseline, that means somebody's gonna, there's going to be three players that lose five strokes. That's the way it works out. In this particular field this year, the field was, before they teed off, minus 1,011 strokes. So it wasn't a zero-sum exercise. And that, what that says is nobody plays the golf course well. That means that nobody has the answers. Nobody can figure it out because it asks you almost every single shot to do something opposite that you did to the preceding shot. Take number one. You've got to fade it off of the tee to gain the angle, but then you've got to draw it into the green. Number two, you've got to draw it off the tee, and then you've got to fade it into the green. And so it goes all the way around that golf course. And that's why – as time's gone on, I've gained a tremendous amount of respect for this golf course. When you start to look at who's played it well, it's a very small number of people. Tiger Woods played it well from 99 to 2002. Well, that was the greatest golf that's ever been played by an individual. And he's the only one, really, Tom Kite back in the 80s. But very few have been able to play it well for any period of time. Because if you go in there a little off, the golf course will expose you. And it will humiliate you. You know, it's interesting, too, Brandel. And, and with that, um, not as an extreme case uh, at Augusta, but we don't have, and I'm not going to call the players a major championship, but it's very close to It's a great tournament. Let's put it that way. 
none of the venues ever stay the same. You know, and Augusta National could be the biggest uh, mental hurdle for anyone that's ever played golf and tried to win a major because everybody knows where the flag six are going to be. Everybody knows the golf course. Everybody's played it. I mean, Jack and Arnold had probably played it, you know, 500 times combined, you know, and they still right. never quite, I mean, they have great records. They are great players. They, they dominated the sport. But to your point and how difficult the game is, nobody owns this thing. Yeah, I mean, Augusta is, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a different sort of animal, obviously. It's, the field's not as strong as the field at the players. Uh, at the top it is, but the depth obviously is not there. But it asks entirely different questions uh, of players than the TPC Sawgrass. It's, it's got a completely different philosophy. The philosophy there is to let you play with some recklessness off of the tee and then holds you more and more accountable as you get up to the green. Angles are important off of the tee, certainly, but, but the ability to escape is, is important to the philosophy there. Um, what you have at Augusta is it's the exact opposite of the players. Augusta is the place with the most repeatability. It is the easiest course to predict success on of all the courses on the PGA Tour. There's a correlation there of almost 40%. In other words, if you see somebody, if you see somebody one year on top of that leaderboard in the top ten, there's a forty percent chance that they'll be on the top ten the next year, because the same players get to come back there every year, and it 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 only has a few things that you have to do. You have to be able to draw it off of the tee at Augusta, and you have to be able to cut it off a hook lie into the greens. And if you can do that, and you also have touch around the greens. Well, then that's it. Year after year after year, you get to come back there with that skill set and show off. And, and, and that's why um, Jack won six times. That's why Jordan Spieth plays so well there. Jordan is very comfortable hitting a draw off of the tee, and he's brilliant at hitting a fade off a draw lie. Um, and, and, and that's why, look, the Masters is by far my easiest job. If you're not in the top well, 16 in the world, really. If you're in the top 16 in the world at Augusta National, your chances of winning at Augusta National are 75%. 75% chance somebody in the top 16 this year will win the match. All you got to do to predict the winner, basically, at Augusta is look at the top 16 players in the world, see who's on form, and see who can hit a, a cut off a draw line. And that will get you five players. And there's basically a 75% chance you're going to guess right. That's how easy Augusta is to predict the winner. Uh, it is highly unlikely that anybody outside the top 16 in the world will win at Augusta National um, just because the best players in the world don't get hindered there. They get to just play their game and get on with it. Man, I absolutely love those stats, Brandon. One of the things that go back to the TPC, I talked to Pete Dye, and, and I'm sure you have uh, years ago. He talks about visual distortion. And he talks about, and one of the things that I love that you brought up is that the, it is so demanding, and as a player, there are so many uncomfortable shots that you have either off the tee, into the green. The par threes are, can be absolutely dreadful to play out there. There's just, there's just no let up, and there are so many opportunities for you to make huge numbers. That's right. He makes you take 
the hard line. If you don't take the hard line, you pay such a, a huge penalty for it. I'll give you an example. The fourth hole. So the fourth hole, most tour players lay up. But if you, if you hit driver and go down the right side, if you challenge that bunker down the right side, then you've got, well, basically a flip wedge into the green, and you've got the angle. Uh, and it really does boil down to, and it doesn't matter whether you hit it in the bunker, the left rough, or the fairway. If you get within 130 yards, you've got a 40% chance of making birdie. If you are 140 yards or further away, and again, it doesn't matter if you're in the bunker, the rough, or the fairway, you've got a 20% chance of making bogey. And it really does just boil down to whether or not you can get up on the tee and have the courage to take the hardest line. And the ones who do, which is few and far between, because that kind of confidence is fleeting for even the best of players. Uh, the ones that do, um, and it could be anybody in the field. It could be the guy who's ranked 80th or the 130th guy in the world. Uh, if that particular week he just has – uh, the courage to take the hardest lines off of the tee, then he's got a huge reward. Um, so, you know, it, it, it makes you, it makes you play scared. And uh, Augusta doesn't do that. Augusta, you get to slay the dragon. Uh, and, and, and tour pros, the very best of them like to slay the dragon. Uh, the players championship, TPC Sawgrass, it makes, it makes the, everybody sort of uh, – it tells you what to do. And the best players in the world don't like to be told what to do. I, I never did. I think it took me five times around that golf course to figure out that fourth hole, as you said, Brandel. And, um, right. It's just an interesting – it also uh, speaks to how difficult it is for players uh, to move the ball with a tremendous amount of consistency both ways, left to right and right to left, off the tee – with their iron game, you know, and, and try to get the ball in the right quadrant at the, at the players? Well, yeah, because they don't have to anywhere else, generally speaking. So because they don't have to, they don't ever engage that creative process. Uh, they can get by pretty darn well uh, hitting as far as they can with very little need to shape shots because what they used to have to do with, the curvature of the ball they now can do with trajectory. Um, so to get at a pin with a five iron or a four iron, you had to sneak up on it with the shot shape. Well, now you're coming in with a nine iron or an eight iron or a wedge, and you don't have to worry about shot shape because you can stop it with trajectory. In this modern game, let's just transition into this modern game, Brandel. Wow. I mean, Tigers had just a tremendous amount of effect on the purses, on, on the notoriety, the, the how popular the game's become, but – how about this power game we're seeing? Yeah, you know, you know, when I played the tour, uh, I was more the norm of five foot nine, five foot ten guy. You were more the uh, exception. There were not many guys out there who had, you know, who were six foot two or three or four who were fit. And now then, it's it's the exception when a, a Kevin Kisner is the exception. Most guys are six foot two or six foot one um and they're fit they're really fit um and and i don't mean muscle bound because very you know 
there's only a few of them out there that have metamorphed into bulk. Most of them are, are more along the lines of where Rory's at right now. They're tremendously flexible and, and fit, you know, fit in the right way. Uh, so it is a different game. And the, and the golf swing's different. You know, when you and I played, it was, it was even not like we were a reverse C where we sagged our legs to impact, but we still had more lateral shifts into impact. Now, guys, uh, you know, they'll extend a little bit in their backswing, but they definitely squat down in their downswing. And then they get big verticals at impact. They, they're elevating much more than you and I did. Uh, and, and, and they've learned this from these pressure plates. Uh, pressure plates have really, and they've learned a lot of it from the longest hitters in golf. I mean, those guys uh, have given us a lot. So they see where the longest hitters' pressure moves in their golf swing. Teachers see that. They share it with their students. And, and you've got everybody on tour basically uh, elevating in their backswing, squatting down or going into flexion in their downswing. And then, and then getting as much as many verticals as they can, uh, and and you know club speeds are going up. But more than that, more than club speeds are going up, guys are hitting golf balls with uh, trying to get as much uh, elevation as they can and as little spin as they can, and uh, and that's it. I mean, they've picked up you know twenty yards, thirty yards since you and I were playing the tour. Well, that's going to wrap up the front nine. Don't go anywhere, though, because uh, John and I and Brandel will be back uh, for the Back Nine segment. This is Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Are you looking for a golf training facility and PGA pros to help you out year-round? Make sure you get to Golf Tech. They've been in St. Louis since 2007 and have three convenient locations to serve you. They've got state-of-the-art video equipment, and you can take your lesson home with you and replay it as much as you'd like. Start with a golf swing evaluation for only $125 and let a Golf Tech coach customize a game plan for you. 314-721-GOLF. You can find them online as well, golftech.com-st. Louis. Play better. Swing better. Golf Tech. I got a big shout-out and a thank you to Whitmore Country Club for supporting my golf show. I don't know if you know, Whitmore Country Club has 72 holes of golf. There's a 24-hour fitness center and has a extremely large pool complex. This is a family-friendly country club to belong to. There's a kids' club in the main clubhouse right near the fitness center. There are golf leagues, skinned game Members, tournaments, couples, events are available all year long. If you join at Whitmore, you also get access to the Missouri Bluffs, the Links of Dardeen, and the Golf Club of Wentzville. And the cart fees are already included in that membership. There are no food or beverage minimums, no assessments. Go out and see my friend Bummer out in the clubhouse. He is an absolute jewel and a wonderful guy that will tell you all you need to know. Or you can call Whitmore at 636-926-9622. After 25 years on the PGA Tour, Jay Delsing takes you behind the scenes from the eyes of a pro. Now back to more golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to Golf with Jay Delsing. I'm your host, Jay. My buddy John here with me. And uh, let's just jump right back in to the Brandel Chambly interview. Brandon, what do you think this this power game is going to do to the player physically? I was thinking about this before we got on and wanted to ask you. Because when we played the tour, it was always thought that your prime was going to be in that 32 to 37 year 
you know, range where your life kind of got settled down. You learned how to play the tour when you were younger and you, you, you know, you're off to your best golf in that give or take those years. To me, it's, it seems as if this game is going to shift to the other sports. And because it's such a physically demanding game now that when the player is at his physical peak is going to be closer to where he hits his prime. What do you think? Yeah, I, you know, I think there's a lot of, a lot going on right now that makes the game younger. Uh, to your point, the game is much more about power now than it's ever been before. And you obviously uh, really, in terms of power, there's a physiological decline beginning around 28, 29 years of age. So inevitably the game's going to get younger. So, so that's certainly true. But there's something else that's going on right now, and I'm not sure how it's going to wash out. But players come out with a certain freedom, an arrogance about them, and, and they play beautifully. And if they get going pretty well, they attract uh, so much attention from teachers. And they are able to afford uh, a bevy of people around them. And they become overindulged, let's say, with instruction. And this has led to disappearing acts. Uh, almost unprecedented number of disappearing acts uh, from players post-25, 26 to 33. Uh, I'm talking about the Anthony Kins, the Camilla Vajegas, uh, the Nick Watneys, the Hunter Mahans, Luke Donald disappeared, Tiger Woods even disappeared, Michelle Wee uh, lost her game, Lydia Ko lost her game uh, to some extent, uh, Yanni Sen completely lost her game. This is going on at an unprecedented rate, and it's, it's, it's due it's – you couldn't convince me otherwise. It is due nothing more to an overindulgence of instruction. And it is uh, – I've always said that the most dangerous place on the PGA Tour is the driving range. 100% second most is pro- The second most is probably the, uh, the equipment trailers. Um, you know, you, you start – you start changing, although they're getting better. I'll, I'll say that. But I've seen so many games ruined by equipment changes. But, but more than that, what we, what we don't talk about very often is the players who disappear. Uh, you just quit talking about them. And you don't really study why they disappeared. But when you start to look at why they disappeared, you know, David Duvall lost his game. Why? Uh, Trevor Immelman lost his game. Why? Uh, now, Trevor's working back and trying to find it. Uh, and, and he's, he's managed to, to play some pretty good golf lately. But when you start to look at why these players lost their games, um, it, it, it's, it's, it's due to you know, either going into the gym and bulking up, and then injury, injuries come along shortly thereafter. Is there a correlation between going to the gym and the injuries, or is it coincidental? Some people would say it's coincidental. I would, say, I would argue no. I, I think they, they happen too close together. Tiger Woods got injured when he metamorphed and became more bulky. Uh, David Duvall got injured. Um, Jason Day's body is breaking down. Rory McIlroy's body was breaking down. He's changed the way he works out now, and his body's behaving better. It's, it's not breaking down on him, and he's playing much better golf. So there's all kinds of hurdles right now that have led to disappearing acts. And when those players that should be coming into their prime 
physiologically and mentally leave the scene, they abdicate the spot, the upper echelon of the game, younger players fill in those spots. So you got it's, it's pretty complicated, but you've got two things going on, you know, a more powerful game and a more uh, indulgent uh, instruction-wise in game. And you put those two and two together, and, yeah, the game's getting younger. And, Brandel, to your point, when you and I were kids, it was like, here's some clubs and go play. You know, and nowadays these kids yeah. are, are instructed from 8, 9, and 10 years old, and they're on these machines and computers and high-speed cameras. And it's just, you know, it's almost like they haven't had time to develop their authentic swing. And, and, and they don't yeah. necessarily have confidence in that in that entity of that there is a way that they play golf. And Jordan Spieth's putting is a great example of that right now. Well, look, I, I'm a, it, it, it sounds like I'm dogging instruction. I'm a fan of instruction. I'm just saying that, and I would probably be guilty of it as well, because I, I have, I'm curious. I want to know what the best did, how they're doing it, what's going on in the game. It's just that I, I think right now there, there, is, there are some casualties in the evolution of, of information, the deluge of information, because they really haven't put the pieces to the puzzle together yet. They have from a power standpoint, but they haven't figured out uh, the, the proper workout. They haven't figured out to the, some extent uh, diagnostic equipment can give us a great understanding of where power comes from, but they're not quite sure the best way to play the game or how to hit it straight. Um, and there's still a lot of guesswork there. Uh, well, with Jordan Spieth, you know, again, and, and this is why I talk about the disappearing acts of, we're not going to say middle-aged golfers, but we're going to say sort of mid-career golfers. And, and Jordan Spieth is in the early stages of that. Can he, can he abate uh, what, the decline? Um, maybe. Maybe he can. Uh, but this is how it starts. You know, when Jordan Spieth was a rookie, he was seventh in stroke scan off of the tee. He was 18th in driving accuracy. And by that was 2013. By 2015, he was still a fabulous driver in the top 20, I think, strokes gain off the tee, the best iron player on the PGA Tour, and a very good putter. So it's not just his putting that's fallen off. Matter of fact, as we speak, his putting is the best part of his game. It's every facet of his game that's fallen off. He was great at every facet of the game, and he was a better iron player than he ever was a better putter. But his golf swing, uh, his golf swing has changed, and and why has it changed? It makes no sense to me that he should have changed his golf swing, but he has, and it's changed quite a bit. Uh, and his ball striking has fallen off. As we speak, we're we're talking here the week of the match play. Uh, there's 64 players in the match play. After two rounds of the match play, he's 64th in strokes gain off of the tee, and he's dead last in driving accuracy. He's dead last on the PGA Tour in driving accuracy. 212 players are measured. He's dead last. What you can't do is hit it short and crooked or even middle length, which he is, and crooked. Um, and, and his golf swing, you know, his club is more laid off. He's got a shut, uh, a bowed left wrist, uh, whereas before he had a little bit of cup in his left wrist and the club was hanging right down the line at the top. 
and you know, Brandel, all great points. And the other thing that's that's not even been thrown into the mix is what it does to your mental psyche and your confidence. Well, yeah, when you're in a constant state of change, you're in a constant state of timidity. Uh, you know, I, I doubt that Lanny Watkins ever played timid golf. Uh, <laughs> I, I doubt that Bruce Litsky ever played timid golf. I, I've, I, I think that this is the most power-hungry or power-addicted, but also in a weird way, the most timid uh, uh, golfers uh, because so many of them are in a constant state of flux. Um, look, there, there's a need for instruction. I, I, my, a lot of my best friends are teachers. Uh, I love instruction. I, I, I spend a lot of time looking at golf swings. I'm a, I'm a geek about the golf swing. And, I, and I've learned a lot from instructors, but I've also learned a lot from the best players of all time. Uh, and there's a danger in turning over your golf game to somebody else's ideas. There's a danger there. And if you don't know who they are and you don't know their biases and you are not armed with information about what the great players did yourself, then you are pretty vulnerable to any fleeting idea of any instructor. And that's why I say to players now, tour players, is, you know, some of them call me and ask me to help them with their golf swings. And I'm like, you know, you can go on YouTube and you can educate yourself pretty darn quickly about what the greatest players did, what you did when you played your best. At least then you have information uh, and you're on the same sort of playing field. Look, if I had had YouTube when I was playing the tour, and I went to see David Ledbetter, and he told me to keep the flex in my right knee in my backswing. I could have said to David, why? No, but no great player ever did that. Right. Why would you want me to do that? And then, look, he could have made his case. And, and, he, and he would have maybe, you know, maybe he makes a great case, and maybe he would have convinced me. But I would say that keeping the flex in my right knee in my backswing – impoverished me for the 15, 20 years I played the tour. But I was told to do that by not just David, but by several teachers. And the point is, why? Why? Why was I told to keep the flex in my right knee and my backswing? No great player did that. Zero. Zero out of 100 great players did that. Zero. They started with flex at address. And they lost most of that flex in their backswing. They extended. Now, they didn't extend it rigid stiff, but they extended it. And you know why teachers would say keep the flex in the right knee? It started with Ben Hogan's Five Fundamentals of Golf, where he has a drawing in there, and he says that you keep your right kneecap pointed in the same direction, that it doesn't move, that you keep the flex in your right knee. And so teacher after teacher bought that load of crap, and, and they, they never bothered to look that the best didn't do that, that Ben Hogan certainly didn't do that. He just felt it, and he wrote it, and then everybody took it as gospel, and they still teach it. There are still people out there that teach that, and it is nothing short of a load of crap. Brindle, and I, it I, impoverishes every player that, that does it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, I also got a kick out of Hogan when, when um, you know, he was just an incredible practicer, loved to hit balls and just was at Shady Oaks and just beat balls and continually worked on this stuff. And 
um, some video equipment and, and some technology, you know, as archaic as it was back then, came out and asked, and he was asked, would you like, Mr. Togan, would you like to see your swing on video? And he said no, for, your, for exactly to your point, because I don't want to see and then realize that I'm not doing what I feel like I'm doing. Yeah, it, it's it's funny that the golf swings that are most talked about in the game are Sam Snead and Ben Hogan, even to this day. Um, and and yet those golf swings were not developed with the diagnostic equipment that we have today, and they certainly weren't developed by those players looking into video screens. They were developed by watching the ball, making adjustments that they felt to bring the ball flight under their control. Uh, so I think that, look, uh, science has its place in the game, but you still have to, when you get the science, you still have to decide what it means. Uh, and they hadn't quite, you know, nobody has the answers right now. And what tour players don't realize is that the person standing behind them telling them what to do is guessing. Now, they may guess right a time or two, but they do not have all the answers. And that, and I, I, look, I enjoy teachers, and I love working with teachers, but they're guessing too. Uh, tour players are guessing, and, and, and teachers are guessing. It's just that the tour players have the genius of movement. They have the proprioceptor uh, skills that, that teachers don't have. So, you know, there needs to be a, um, a perfect marriage there uh, for teacher and student to get it right. Uh, Brandall, I could sit here and talk to you forever. I really appreciate the time. I don't know if you have time to just a quick plug for your book. I, tell us about the book, why you wrote it, and, and uh, gosh, I, I'd be so proud if I wrote a book. Well, <laughs> I, wrote, I wrote my book as The Anatomy of Greatness. I wrote it because I wanted to read it, and it wasn't out there. Um, I, you know, I, I collect books. I, I you know, I, I don't know how many I have, but, you know, I, I've got pretty much every instruction book ever written. And, mo- well, every instruction book will give you either, if it's written by a player, their perspective on how they swung. If it's written by a teacher, it will give you their perspective on how they think the best swings should should be organized. But what I wanted to know was the commonalities of the greatest players of all time. In other words, Ben Hogan swung flat, and Jack Nicklaus swung upright. Probably Ben Hogan had the flattest swing of any great player, and Nicklaus probably had the most upright swing of any great player. But I just wanted to know what they had in common and everything in between because that is the goal, because that is what we should – we so often get caught up in the, the nuances or the idiosyncrasies, let's say. Let's call them that. The idiosyncrasies, when you watch – Ben Hogan, people will get caught up in this flat swing. When you watch Jack Nicklaus, people get caught up in his flying uh, right arm. Uh, when Arnold Palmer, they'd get caught up in his whirly bird finish. And on and on and on they go. But really, if you, if you don't get distracted by the idiosyncrasies and you start to look at their commonalities of posture, in other words, a curved upper back, uh, the commonalities of the way their lower body moved and that it um, in transition the the right knee doesn't kick in straight away in transition 
that it holds, and that's where you get this squat. Every player has a beautiful separation between their trail leg and their lead leg in transition. That's because they're, they're holding their right side in the early stages of their downswing while their left side moves laterally but also begins to rotate. So there's all of these, there's probably seven or eight key commonalities amongst the greatest players of all time. And the closer you get to assimilating those in your own move, the better you're going to be. And so I spent, you know, years studying the game and I, you know, I wrote about those commonalities in the anatomy of greatness. And, um, you know, it's, 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 it's done incredibly well and it's still, still selling incredibly well. And, and I'm, in the middle of doing the same thing for the short game, the anatomy of greatness, uh, commonalities of the greatest short games of all time. Uh, those, that book will be out shortly. And, um, and I've had a blast doing the research and writing that book as well. I can't wait to, to, to hear the anatomy of the short game and the greatness of the short game. Uh, what, I'm sorry, whatever you're going to call that book. I, I, the, the short game is absolutely my forte as I got older and I, my, uh, I spent probably 10 years on tour going to all the best players and just having them tell me what they do. And it's amazing how many of them have no idea what they're doing. They just do it and they know how well, to that, do it. Yeah, that, that, that's true. That's true. So, you know, the, the short game book was and is uh, quite a bit harder to research than the long game because everybody has written a book about the golf swing and very few have either written a book or talked about or even understood what they did in the short game. And there's, there's not even that many, that, that many great videos. So it, it required a lot of going back and looking in archives, getting the right views, and, uh, and, and sort of digging up bones on my own, um, which has been a lot of fun. Well, that's going to wrap up the back nine. Man. What an interview. Don't go anywhere. We're going to break that down for you on the 19th hole, the Mike Duffy 19th hole. And uh, uh, stay tuned because this is Golf with Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery are a proud sponsor of Golf with Jay Delsing. They've been around since 1973, and it's been family-owned and operated the entire way. Father Danny Capps started it all. Now sons Matt and Jared are fully involved. And at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, they host the area's largest selection of Lazy Boy and Flex Steel Furniture. Plus, you'll find a full-service Mohawk Color Center featuring carpet, hardwood, laminate, and waterproof flooring. Everything is professionally installed at Jerseyville Carpet and Furniture Gallery, plus easy to and setup of new furniture however and wherever you want it they'll also haul away all of your old furniture can't beat that deal going the extra mile that's what jerseyville carpet and furniture gallery is all about find them online jerseyvillecarpetfurniture.net or call them 618-639-9858 most people think to get fit you've got to be in the gym five days a week well i used to think that too but that was before i discovered 20 minutes to fitness 20 Minutes to Fitness makes it possible to achieve in one 20-minute session a week what might require three hours or more a week at the gym.